1: This episode is sponsored by Kaplan Medical. If you head over to captest.com and use the offer code ITB15, you can get 15% off any Kaplan Medical product. And importantly, for AMA members, you can combine this discount with your AMA membership for a total of 40% off. So that is a pretty sweet deal. deal. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. The podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer, so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Welcome back to the Inside the Boards podcast. I am Patrick Beeman. This is part two of our 2018 Study Smarter series for step one, covering some high yield neurology questions between Elizabeth and Stuart. Stay tuned to the end find out how you can get a free one-year subscription to our all audio cue bank while having a little bit of fun in the process with our fake usmle question campaign and speaking of the all audio cue bank check the link in the show notes or go to insidetheboards.podbean.com for all you people in the final throes of step one crunch time we've got your back because it's only 15 bucks for one month Plus, you help us continue the work we're trying to do here and make the audio cue bank a much, much more expansive and better product to help supplement your usual resources for your coursework or USMLE Step 1 study. And now, a little bit of high-yield study advice with our Kaplan Test Prep Minute. All right, Dr. Samino, so every student has described a situation where they feel like, oh man, I'm being tricked. That's a trick question. But the exam writers and the uh, licensing bodies who make up these exams, they're not trying to write trick questions, right? They're no longer, because trick questions don't test medical knowledge, but rather boil down to puzzle solving. So when an item is constructed for the USMLE, for instance, what are writer's trying to achieve?
0: So one of the goals uh, that NBME really tries to stress with their exam writers is that the question be, should be testing medical knowledge. And one of the ways they do that is they've set up some very strict guidelines in terms of things that they can't do when they write a question. So for example, they're not allowed to use none of the above uh, or all of the above. They're not allowed to phrase a question as, you know, all of the following are true except. And the reason for that is those kinds of item structures really do move the question away from understanding a specific piece of medical knowledge and make it more of a process of elimination and cross-correlation and things like that. The, the infamous K-type questions yeah, are the was, best example of
1: that. I was going to say you're yeah. talking about like K-type questions.
0: Yeah. They eliminated those way back uh, quite a while ago. And now pretty much most exam, right, not just medical exams, but SATs, law the bar, et cetera, have moved away from those questions.
1: And just to remind the uh, listeners, these are the sorts of things where they'd ask, like, which of the following is a muscle relaxant and give you four options, like Vecuronium or Valium and et cetera. And then your answer choice might be, you know, one and two are correct, one and three are correct, two and four are correct, all choices are correct. Is that uh, an
0: accurate... Yeah, that's essentially what the K-type question is. And... And you can see in that example, that's like a puzzle. You know, it's you know, and you'll have a student who's positive about choice number one, so therefore it's either A or E is the right answer, and then they look at the other choices and try to puzzle out what percentage likelihood of one of those other things being right to help guide them to the answer. And they're not really thinking about the medical knowledge anymore. They're thinking about the structure of the question. So the structure of the questions is one way that they do this. The other way that they do it is actually by analyzing the results of these items when they're given to students. You'll see a curious thing. For items that are trick questions, sometimes what happens is the stronger students get the questions wrong more often than the weaker students. It's sort of a reverse item in the sense that the stronger students recognize there's something funny about the question, and so they end up overthinking it, and they end up, you know, coming to a conclusion because the question ultimately doesn't really make perfect sense. Um, They'll throw those questions out and rewrite them to try to make them more consistent uh, so that you get Weak students getting it wrong and and strong students getting it right.
1: Got it. All right. Well, to learn more, head over to captest.com to take advantage of the special discount we mentioned on any Kaplan medical product.
2: All right, so a 75-year-old woman comes to the office for an annual evaluation. She lives in a skilled nursing facility because of decreased cognitive function. Her cognitive decline is marked, and she has profound recent memory impairment. Physical examination is remarkable only for mild hypertension. Her MRI displays enlarged ventricles with cortical and regional temporal atrophy. Which of the following best describes this patient's pathology? A, obstruction of the fourth ventricle. B, choroid plexus papilloma. C, normal pressure hydrocephalus. Or D, hydrocephalus ex vacuo.
3: So, I have a 75 year old patient, and they've got memory and cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. And the MRI has enlarging ventricles mm-hmm. as well as atrophy. Mm-hmm. So, that's going to lead me to hydrocephalus ex vacuo. Mm -hmm. um, That's correct. As opposed to normal pressure hydrocephalus.
2: Mm -hmm. Why?
3: So, the distinguishing feature for me at this point in my training is that normal pressure hydrocephalus doesn't necessarily have atrophy. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's going to be more because of expanded ventricles and you, you actually see some of the brain kind of being compressed right. against the, mm-hmm. the skull as opposed to uh, atrophy of the brain. And it's not having that compression against the skull compartment. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, this is looking at Alzheimer's syndrome. Ex- yeah, <laughs> Sorry, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and that's kind of this association with hydrocephalus X vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, the, Intracranial pressure is normal, uh, and there's just this extra presence of CSF fluid mm-hmm. replacing the the lost cortex <laughs> the lost cortex mm-hmm. area, right
2: just like the I fancy think... way of saying the CSF filled in the gaps where the brain used to be is hydrocephalus ex vacuo, right
3: yeah, and you know, I think of the options, the important one to distinguish against is the normal pressure hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm where that does also have the dilation of ventricles, but it also has this fun triad. Uh, They're they're (laughs) wet, wacky, and Mm -hmm. wobbly, Uh, and that's going for urinary incontinence, dementia, and gait disturbance. Mm -hmm. In that case, you'll see the enlarged ventricles, but you'll also see the brain kind of compressed against the skull.
2: I agree. I I think you're right. Those are definitely the two ones to differentiate between. Just to to mention one of the other wrong answers, could you explain what, what would you see if you had obstruction of the fourth ventricle? That was answer choice A. I know it wasn't tempting for you in this one, but what would you have seen if, if the fourth ventricle was obstructed?
3: So that's going to be a, a non-communicating, like hydrocephalus. So that's going to actually dilate the fourth ventricle mm-hmm. in that case. That's not really what's being described here. Mm-hmm. I think you also see vomiting and headache mm-hmm. as well as you have trouble with uh, visual defects.
2: Mm-hmm. That makes sense, right? Like compressing the optic nerve and uh, because of the area of dilation, right? Right,
3: and the headache and vomiting mm-hmm. because of the, the location within the, the brainstem. Mm-hmm. The, the last thing that I was going to ha- put is uh, when I was looking through first aid, they threw out a nice differential, so I thought I'd include it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see hydrocephalus X vacuo, mm-hmm. your differential should include Alzheimer's, uh, advanced HIV, Pick's disease, mm-hmm. and Huntington's disease. Mm-hmm. All right, so last one here. A 29-year-old woman comes to the office because of intermittent blurred vision in her right eye for three months. She says that episodes usually last a week and then completely resolve. Other symptoms she has intermittently experienced are difficulty in maintaining balance while walking, as well as urinary urgency and incontinence. Visual examination is normal. There is decreased muscular power in her right arm and an upgoing left-sided plantar reflex. An MRI scan of her brain shows periventricular enhancement. Which of the following is most characteristic in this patient's disease? Is it A. association with HLA-DR2 genotype? B. degeneration of the nigrostriatal dopaminergic neurons? C. deposition of beta-amyloid peptide? Or D. proteins that have abnormal number of glutamine residues?
2: So, I would think of answer choice A, excuse me, association with HLA-DR2 genotype because I'm thinking a patient with periventricular enhancements and having these intermittent like neurologic changes um, that like fluctuate, like difficulty with balance, then it's also affecting urinary urgency decreased muscle power in her right arm and upgoing left side plantar reflex it's like all over the place and she has these periventricular enhancements i'm thinking of multiple sclerosis and that's always uh, like a board's testable kind of question that it has an association with the HLA DR2 genotype i think if there was one other choice that could have been tempting maybe cuz she's i guess she is a young person And uh, could have Huntington's disease. And so then that would have been answer choice D, proteins which have abnormal number of glutamine residues. And I say that because that does involve some movement issues. However, I think behavioral symptoms, mental status kind of changes are usually more prominent when a vignette is trying to describe a patient with Huntington's disease. And this patient doesn't have any of those complaints. Also just the the fact that she has these different fluctuating neurologic complaints and these uh, periventricular plaques rolls out Huntingtons, but that would have been uh the abnormal number number of glutamine residues.
3: Yeah, those are those are the C A G repeats for all of you step one mm-hmm. studiers. Um so yeah, I uh I think the periventricular enhancement is sort of a buzzword. Mm-hmm. I would have gone, I I wonder how many ways you can describe that aside from not including Mm -hmm. it. But if you see that, you should be thinking of MS. MS is characteristic, or to me, MS is easy to remember that it's DR2 because if you just say MS, uh, they're just the two letters. Mm. Um, I like that. I'm going to throw in a little mnemonic here just because HLA, I I don't think HLA is high yield to learn. I think the ones that you pick up in medical school are probably enough. And I know some people are, you know, I I don't want you to waste too much time learning these, but uh, I'll include this just uh, for completion. So my mnemonic is that Miss Sally dominated one rat hat nephron. So that's made up and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but let me explain it. So we have miss sally so miss is ms and that's uh h l a d r 2 and miss sally sally is standing for sle mm-hmm. uh, sle is dr2 and dr3 uh miss sally dominated so dominated was pretty much the only thing i could think of for diabetes mellitus uh-huh. and dominated one for type 1 um and it goes uh, diabetes mellitus is dr3 dr4 and you'll see that 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 goes along with sally being dr2 dr3 after that the uh, miss sally dominated one rat rat is for rheumatoid arthritis and that's dr4 and then hashimoto's thyroiditis or for the rat hat is dr5 and it skips dr6 and I didn't see this in first aid, uh, but supposedly DR7 goes with um, idiopathic uh, nephrotic syndrome, Mm. so like minimal change disease um, and other things. But like I said, it wasn't in first aid, but nephron, not only does it have seven letters, but it would go with nephrosis, um, particularly like minimal change with, the uh, steroid responsiveness. Uh, so I like how it begins with MS, which has DR2, and ends with nephron, which is seven. I
2: like that. Um, that's a good mnemonic. And you put them, so you were putting them in increasing numerical order. That's really cool. Right. I like that.
3: Uh, so I, I probably, maybe I'll remember <laughs> that, but I'm not really thinking that's terribly important. Uh, but, you know, there's your. I guess, a uh, study heuristic for your HLA types. Yeah. Um,
2: I think that's good.
3: Have you, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How, do you know like the Charcot's, um, one of his many triads for MS? Yeah.
2: Oh yes, I do know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I do know Charcot's MS triad. I think it's scanning speech. Um, patients have like an intention tremor and nystagmus, I believe.
3: Okay. Do you think that's high yield for them to know?
2: I don't really think that that's super high yield. I think more importantly would be knowing that it involves different, like fluctuating fluctuating neurologic symptoms in different systems. Like, I think that's more important. Certainly patients can have a diagnosis of MS without that. Um, triad so I I mean this patient had no ocular involvement at all so I, I kind of think that it's not super high yield but um, maybe it's I mean definitely if if you yeah, memorize no, that I and then you saw check. a patient with it on the you know if you saw a patient with the full triad on the exam you'd be very very certain that they had MS but I also don't think like don't, don't limit it uh, like if you don't see the triad in a vignette, it does not mean the patient doesn't have um, multiple sclerosis.
3: Right. And since MS is one of those like clinical diagnoses, it it, it really jumps out at you once you get a lengthy vignette. Right. Explaining the slew of findings. You're kind of like, good Lord, I don't know what it could be if it's not MS. Right.
2: and And I think, I do think that it's, It's not pathognomonic for MS, and I'm not really sure if there is. Yeah, I I don't think it's strongly enough associated with MS for it to be something that you should spend time trying to memorize as a triad, but it does illustrate the fact that MS affects different systems, often has some kind of visual or ocular involvement. So for that purpose, I think it's a good example of how MS can present, but I don't think it's worth memorizing.
3: All right, good to know. Okay. So, I guess the last thing here is um the treatment is it so if they're having an MS uh relapse, how are we going to handle that?
2: Just steroids. Um they'll either give IV steroids, methylprednisolone, can also give oral steroids. And unfortunately, I think this is really only helpful in kind of helping with symptomatic treatment um for flare-ups doesn't seem to have a really significant impact on long-term like progression of disease. So, I guess that could be an epidemiology kind of natural history of disease or natural progression of disease question for the boards, but just know that this that steroids is what we use to treat MS flare-ups, but it doesn't really impact the course of illness very much.
3: All right. Well, that takes care of uh 5. Mm-hmm what I would consider to be high yield questions for uh, step one neurology. I really appreciate you uh, going and sitting down and going with, through these with me.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
3: I want to tell you about a kind of a fun
1: thing we're doing. So this is going to be a fake USMLE question campaign, and we're tying it to a contest. So from now until July 15th, head over to Twitter, go to my page at Boards Insider. Look for the pinned tweet. What we're doing are fake USMLE questions. So here's an example. If Deadpool were in a USMLE question vignette, his most likely diagnosis would be A. Dissociative Identity Disorder B. Bipolar Disease C. Antisocial Personality Disorder or D. Other So here are the contest rules. You want to tag the character on Twitter. For instance, Deadpool is at DeadpoolMovie in the question vignette, and just set it up like if the character were in a USMLE question vignette, his most likely diagnosis would be, and then make a Twitter poll, pick four answer choices, and tag inside the boards as well as Gomer Blog. That's at Boards Insider and at Gomer Blog, and then finally use the hashtag #fakeUSMLE. The most creative fake USMLE question will get a one-year subscription to our all-audio cue bank for free. We'll have fun while doing it. Maybe learn something. I don't know. It was just something that I thought would be a lot of fun. And you can also do it on other social media. I guess Reddit, Facebook, and Instagram, where on each platform we are at Inside the Boards. Or you can just send us an email to info at insidetheboards.com if you would like to contribute to the fake USMLE campaign. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Rao Reynolds and Enter Shikari for letting us use the track Anesthetist off the 2015 album The Mind Suite. We'll see you back next week for some more high-yield learning.